This is episode number 153 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hi, my friends. It's Jesse. Before we hop into today's show, I want to direct your attention and specifically your buns to my Glute Getter Guide, which is a free PDF download that you can get sent straight to your inbox. The Glute Getter Guide is going to give you six done for you workouts that are between five to 15 minutes long. You can easily fit these into your life over the upcoming holidays from home tonight, whenever you're listening to this. So here's the thing. Pregnancy and postpartum can impact the function and the strength of our glute muscles, which are those on your backside. And better yet, strong buns can really help your pelvic floor do its job to keep you dry and comfortable too. So if you are pregnant, postpartum, or a parent, if you have diastasis recti, pelvic organ prolapse, if you're managing incontinence or low back pain, or if you are short on time, Or simply if strength training feels overwhelming for you right now and you want workouts that are planned for you, that are not overcomplicating the whole dang thing, go ahead and get my Glute Getter Guide. The link to it is in the show notes of today's episode and you will get it sent straight to your inbox. Have fun. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell, and today we're joined by a special guest, a longtime client and friend of mine, Haley. Haley, thanks for being on with us. Happy to be here. So we're going to talk through a couple things today, but mainly your experience with a scar revision, revision procedure that you had done just a couple months ago, a few months ago at this point. And uh, all the things that led you to having this procedure done and what the healing has been like for that. Let's kick it off. So tell us, let's tell us exactly about the procedure that you had done and then we'll back up and talk about all the reasons why you landed on that decision. So what was the surgery? I I have no idea what the insurance coding professional name for it is, but essentially um, in my particular case, I had a guitar, thick guitar string band of scar tissue from, if you want to imagine your um, vagina as a clock from four to 8 PM. And on the right-hand side, it was thicker and sort of taller. And on the left-hand side, it was deeper and kind of entangled into um, some nerve bundle. So on the right-hand side of my uh, vagina, we cut a pie-shaped wedge out 
And then we sewed that open with individual stitches so that it couldn't heal closed and therefore be tighter. And on the left-hand side, she cut out a chunk of scar, uh, roughly kind of one and a half inches by uh, two inches, and then pulled tissue from the back of the vaginal canal over and again, sewed it closed with all individual stitches so that as you're healing, you don't have any pulling. Um, if one stitch is pulling, you know, the other ones don't get impacted by that because our whole intention was to, to do whatever we could to create the least amount of new scar tissue forming, given that we knew that my body tends to make aggressive scar tissue in the first place. Yes. Okay. That's so interesting to hear you talk through it like that. Exactly what happened on both sides. Okay. So then let's back up a few years, a couple years. <laughs> yep. So your first baby was born via unplanned C-section quite early. Yeah. He was a surprise with that. It was a lucky catch, just mother's intuition, but again, unplanned C-section. Um, so, you know, going home, healing from that, getting pregnant again, I know a lot of people you included have this discussion, you know, do I do another cesarean? Do I try for a VBAC? And I just had complete and total faith that I could do a VBAC. I think partially because I, it's not like I had tried once and not had a vaginal birth. I didn't, I never had had that experience and I just had faith that my body could do. So that was my plan and intention. And it happened. Um, she was, uh, born in the hospital, but by the time I got there, I mean, I was pushing. So it was really as relaxed an experience as I think I could have had. Um, I was sidelined cause I was really tired and still because her head was in the 99th percentile, I had some second degree tearing. Um, and I should mention it was really more on the verge of third degree, but just not quite. I got sewed up, but the way I kind of was told about it is, you know, it's like looking into a butcher's window. So it's kind of blood and guts everywhere. And they're trying to make their best approximation of how tissues fit back together. And I think that the doctor did a fabulous job. I think it's just, they sewed more than was intended. should have been sewn in the first place. So really swollen, really sore, go home from the hospital, you know, lying around trying to heal and rest. But I also have at this point, an almost two-year-old who wants my attention. And I think like almost all moms, we know we're supposed to rest, but we end up doing more than we should. And in hindsight, I think that is how partially how I formed so much scar tissue, but also I think my body has just the genetics to do that. So I go, things are really painful. I have my midwife check me. I have, I call my doctor and they just say, this is normal. Just, you know, do, you know, do your sit spats. It's all fine. I go in for my six week checkup and the doctor's kind of like shocked at how bad it is. Um, I haven't really healed at all. I still have lots of really raw red tissue. I have a small fistula that has opened in the perineal area. I have um, granulation tissue, which if anyone has ever had that, it's like uh, tissue on fire. It, the, the breath of wind on the tissue stings so bad. So we use some silver nitrate to burn that off. She gave me some estrogen cream to go home and use. Um, and again, kind of said, oh, and my stitches hadn't dissolved either. So then she had to kind of cut those out, which was more fun. 
Um, she tells me like, go home, use the estrogen cream, come back in two weeks. We'll see where you are. So I go back in two weeks, more granulation tissue. It looks like a web across my vaginal opening. So we burn all that away. We do more estrogen cream. I go back two weeks later, same thing, more burning off the granulation tissue. And I'm doing all the things at home, like this sits fast and eating nourishing foods. And it's just, everything is so painful. And, oh, I also should mention, I had a really, uh, well, not a big, but it's like a thumb-sized hematoma, which she, they just said, that'll go away on its own. If it doesn't, we'll just drain it. But I happened to mention to my acupuncturist about it. And she was like, we can do that. I got you. And so after one session with her, it was almost completely gone. Whatever points she used, it had just increased blood flow and cleared that thing out. And that was huge. Cause that felt like having, um, a painful, hard lump, like stabbing me inside my vagina all the time. Um, so then I start going to pelvic floor physio and she gives me some stretching exercises tells me, you know, in the shower, you can insert your thumb and you can kind of rub it around the tissue. So I'm doing that, but the pain is just, I mean, it's unbearable, honestly. And I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to be heroic when I say this, but I have now had a whole human come out of my vagina. I, without medication, I am quite capable of handling pain, but this is just, it's not getting better. And I think that's, you know, then you start the mental game of like, this is it now. So I keep going to physio and then we move to Houston. So everything kind of gets put on hold. I'm now in a whole new country. I have to find a doctor who can write me a referral to go see a pelvic floor physio who I have to find and why you can't self-refer here to pelvic floor physio. I don't know because it, I had to go through the whole internal exam with a doctor. So he could agree with me that my scar tissue was bad enough to require physio. So that was like a whole other enraging on that it, very enraging I'm like mm-hmm. I, why would I want to go for fun like what do you care if I go yeah so I find a new physio here and she's like let's just use dilators and I'm like all right fine I can do that I order my set of dilators they come and the smallest one which is you know roughly the size of like your index finger it's not the insertion w- of that size that's so bad but it's touching the tissue so any kind of like back and forth motion is excruciating that tissue was so raw that I couldn't have that kind of like drag on tissue it would just was miserable so I keep working at it I try to go up in size I'm not getting anywhere keep going to physio you know really not making any progress at this point I mean having sex is like (laughs) I would rather poke my eyeballs out honestly Mm -hmm. the amount of mental gymnastics to breathe through it whatever that means to try and relax despite the fact that it feels like a square peg round hole situation it's just I just don't want to have sex at all like nothing feels good internally with anything not fingers not a penis nothing I just don't want to have any part of that it's so awful but you know sometimes you do it and sometimes you get surprised pregnant (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) these things happen Um, so then I go to my midwives and I am expressing my concern about if that scar tissue that I have would even stretch enough to allow for vaginal birth again. And if it didn't, 
or, you know, what might happen as a byproduct? Would I then tear in new places? Would it be worse? And I, you know, there's no way to know, there's no way to predict. Um, but just having these thoughts go through your head. So they, they uh, like out of nowhere, I go, Hey, you should see my friend Rowan. She's a scar therapist. And I'm thinking like, what is that? Rowan is the godsend. <laughs> she is, she works a lot with people who've had top or bottom surgery because again, they can have really intense scar tissue. And depending on what type of surgery they had, they may be creating a whole new space that didn't exist. So she uses a technique called stream. She learned it in England from these two people. And I can't really explain it because I know, I don't know enough about it, but it it's something that I've never seen anything like it. So, but I will say it's an intimate procedure. So you're lying on a table, you know, disrobed from the waist down she would lie on the table facing you and you would kind of straddle her because that is the best angle for her to access the tissue so it's a really intimate thing so not everybody might be comfortable with that but I will say it's so worth it so she (laughs) she was like I've never seen scar tissue this dense ever so she suggests the use of castor oil which um, it eats tissue, essentially. So, you know, you can eat away your scar tissue with castor oil. But because I was pregnant, the amount that we could use was very minimal. And I, I did talk extensively through the benefits and the risks with not only Rowan, but with my midwives. And we all felt comfortable that a very small amount used on that tissue alone was no risk to um, baby. So that's what we did. So I was seeing Rowan uh, every week until I hit about 22 weeks and then lying on my back got really uncomfortable. So I was seeing her more sporadically, but still doing all of her things at home. Um, She gave me this castor oil salve. I was using that every night and we were making progress. Things were definitely getting better, but by no means would I have said that if this was my vagina for the rest of my life, that I would be okay with it. I really was not. So I was also doing everything I could to prepare for Miles's birth. I was using that Epino, you know, that balloon you blow up, mm-hmm. even though there's not a lot of evidence that it works the second time around, I figured it can't hurt to try. Yeah. I was using, um, I did Anita's cur- uh, course um, and that was super helpful. She had this really, really, really good meditation about the flower bloom breath. And I mm-hmm. did that like twice a day, every day then it was just like all I could imagine all the time. I was doing a lot of visualization. I was telling myself like, you know, you can do this. Your body is capable. I was planning a home water birth because the water could help um, the tissue just feel a little softer. I really think I thought it through pretty well. So Miles was born and it was amazing. He popped right out, but yes, I still tore. So I am... How this much tearing time, was it at that Still birth? second degree, but yeah. much different. So the, really there was more kind of like labial tearing this time. So, you know, in the sewing up procedure, I said, I really am not concerned with the cosmetic amount of this. Like it, I, I could care less if my vagina looks like it belongs on the cover of some perfection magazine. I really want functionality. And I mean, my husband could care less either. He is a truly amazing man. Um, but I had a really amazing postpartum plan in place. I had done so much research and gone down so many rabbit holes. I really knew 
much more than I did the first time. So I had a plan to do two weeks of nothing but lying horizontally, only getting up to shower, to pee, to steam. Um, two weeks then around the bed. So, you know, a little more time standing and then two weeks around the house, but you know, a pandemic hit. <laughs> so my plan for all of that rest didn't quite go according to plan, but such is life. Um, so then I was doing steaming, um, about four days postpartum. I started that and I did a steam every single night for just over 30 days. I had, um, a local woman to me who she is just amazing. She made up a steam mix personalized to my needs. Um, I was taking sea moss, which is um, essentially just uh, amino acids and minerals. So it's just extra healing. Um, I was doing castor oil again. I was doing the sitz baths. I was using um, helichrysum. It's an essential oil. I was diluting that and using that externally. That was really helpful. I was again using um, estrogen suppositories that I had made for me. Um, and then again, eating the nourishing foods, etc. So things are feeling considerably better than my first postpartum in terms of like pain, etc. I could, I was fine. I could squat again, which I hadn't done pain free um, since um, Emerson's birth. But I still wasn't back to like a place where I thought, well, this is okay. So again, I'm doing pelvic core physio, I'm seeing Rowan, but I had also set up a consult with um, a urogyne to just see what my options were. We had discussed that surgery wasn't possible while I was pregnant, but she's like, let's just set up an appointment for like 10 weeks postpartum. We'll just see what goes. So I went in to see her and we both came to the conclusion that I can keep trying what I'm doing, but the reality of the situation was I was not prepared to live with a vagina that painful and that everything I was doing was not helping enough that I felt that I would ever get back to that place. Like, you know, I don't think you can have penetrative sex enough that the tissue just like stretches over time. And then how long are you willing to do that for five years, 10 years? You know, what are you willing to put up with? Um, I wasn't. So my surgeon was extra compassionate extra thoughtful, extra aware of my concerns about making new scar tissue, because of course there's no guarantee that I wouldn't make new and or worse scar tissue. Um, was that so scary imagining that? Yes. Beyond it was because to think that I had tried all these things that hadn't worked. So I didn't have a backup plan. And now if I go have surgery and it doesn't work and I make worse scar tissue and I end up in a place worse than where I am now, I was like, I don't, I, you know, I just didn't want to give that the mental space because I guess I really, really believe that like, you know, you can manifest to a certain degree what you want by how you tell yourself. So I really decided I was just going to say, this is happening. It's going to work. It's going to be beautiful. Problem solved. So I booked my surgery um, and I had it. It's a short, it was a short procedure, like a 30 minute procedure. So it wasn't like a, you know, a whatever. Um, but again, I treated it like a real postpartum. I set up my steaming. I set up my two weeks lying around, two weeks around the bed, et cetera. I set up, um, I got more steam moss. I had my midwife, um, sorry, it's Rowan had maybe these like different uh, suppositories to use. And 
another thing that I had, um, I was using for the first few days postpartum is ozonated olive oil. Um, ozone is kind of a remarkable product. It has multiple uses. Some people think it's, you know, quackery. I myself have had only amazing experiences with it. It can help heal tissue. So I felt really comfortable trying and using it. And I, I think it absolutely helped in the initial healing to really drive healing as fast as possible so that I wouldn't have the chance to make scar tissue. So I go back for my six week check with the surgeon. Um, everything is looking really good. The stitches haven't dissolved, but they're not supposed to at this point, they're supposed to dissolve around 12 weeks. They're supposed to basically give you all the time you can for that tissue to really repair itself. I still am using the estrogen suppositories. And then I go to see um, Rowan again, things are good, but most importantly, sex is normal. Well, not quite, but if I had to compare it, it's apples and oranges. It's the tissue has the ability to have drag on it. So you can have like an in and out motion. I, the initial um, entering is not like being stabbed inside the vagina. It's just, it's, I, I don't really know how, it's just magic. I guess now it's almost, it's over two years since my initial, um, initial uh, injury. And it's just crazy. I, I don't wish that I had had surgery sooner because I think I had to go through all those things to make sure that not only was my surgery going to be successful because I knew what tools I needed, but I don't know that I would have had the right surgeon either had I not moved to Houston, found these amazing people who set me up with these other amazing people and so on and so forth. So I think the, the timeline while really long and dragged out was exactly the timeline I needed to follow to get where I am now. That is amazing. Just such relief to be where you are right now. So how long postpartum were you the third time when you had the scar revision done? Four months. Four months. Okay. Yeah. And they felt like that was a long enough period of time. Uh, Well, it's, I know I probably would have had it sooner, except because of the pandemic, elective surgeries had been put off. So by the time they opened up again, that's just where I was in, in life. I think I probably would have had it at 12 weeks if I could have. Um, it just didn't work that way. Yes. Yeah. Totally <laughs> understood. Yeah. Your third, it, your nine months postpartum now. Right now. Yeah. Around, and yep. that's, yeah, basically how long the pandemic has been. Going <laughs> yeah. On for yeah Miles was born and then two weeks later, the world shut down. So yeah. Good timing. Good timing. Yeah. Okay. So I think that this, I just want to highlight one thing that you said about uh, just this frustration, these ideas that women, that people with vulvas and vaginas just suffer through, just suffer through the pain with intimacy, with pleasure, with sex. Like the pleasure isn't for you. It's no, exactly. for your partner, partners. And that is not true and uh, highly mis- misogynistic and patriarchal and yeah so frustrating to go through that and to be told by healthcare providers just keep doing it it'll get better over time yeah the grin and bear it right like 
this is normal. This is what postpartum is like. If you've had a vaginal birth, every woman goes through this and, you know, you just keep having sex as much as your partner wants you to. And if it's painful, you just breathe through it. Maybe have a glass of wine first, but you know, this is just it. Like, I don't know what you're expecting. Cause this is what everybody, you know, deals with. Yeah. And I just felt like, no, really, really, no, I am not okay with being living like this. Like I, I just don't want to. I don't think that I should have to. I don't think that I should have to explain to anybody why this is not okay. Absolutely. It's total trash. Your body and your pleasure are for you and you alone. I am so interested too in the vaginal steaming. And I know people might have questions about that. And that's also, you know, it's kind of an idea that some people, especially in my industry and in the birthing world, will like poo poo because there's not, you know, evidence-based data on it. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable for some people, effective for other people, that there's a mental and emotional component to it as well. So can you just tell us a little bit more about what you did exactly there? Okay. So that makes me want to mention something which I think is important. You are unlikely to ever find scientific research on things that people consider to be woo-woo or, you know, quackery because no pharmaceutical company can make money off of it. And so they're not doing their, they're not going to study it, right? So that you're only ever going to get midwives or, you know, steam providers with case studies. Now, Steamy Chick is a, a woman who has kind of a steaming empire. She teaches people how to create steams for others. She actually does have some research on this, Um, you know, people who steamed, people who didn't, had tears, how they healed. And while small, there was still significant benefit to steaming. So, you know, you're going to, you're only going to hear about this from midwives, from, you know, people who are more um, open to things that are less mainstream. And you're also going to find it more in kind of traditional cultures. So, it's, it's, it's less common here in North America, but it's very common elsewhere. It's just part of the postpartum experience. So you can buy a steam stool. You can go to a place that does them. Um, you can just kind of finagle your own with a steam and, a, and a, a pot full of your herbs. It's not hard to do. It's just a matter of doing it every day. You just sit and let the steam kind of come up and not only do, it doesn't just stay external. I mean, it will go internally as well. And I thought it was really, I mean, it was really relaxing. It was just kind of 10, 15 minutes a day of sitting on warm steam, taking time to myself where I wasn't holding a baby or nursing a baby or whatever. It was just like quiet time for me. So, and I think- whether or not, you know, there's a placebo effect to that. Does it matter if you if it works for you? I mean, I don't think so. Yeah, I would agree with you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, like perhaps there are other, there's so many other factors to it than just considering what it might do to the tissues alone. Yeah. And this is how we talk about the pelvic floor in all the ways that we need to consider the whole person, the whole self, the whole body, mental and emotional, spiritual health. And these things can fit if it's something that you're able to access and want to do. So yeah, I just think that's an important point to mention there too. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention is just the privilege to be able to go down this path and to try to heal your body. And I'm so grateful that you have been able to. And it makes me even more 
frustrated and sad for so many people who aren't able to access care. Oh, I know. That is absolutely not lost on me. The vast majority of this was out of pocket. Insurance does not cover these things. They did cover some of the surgery, but because the surgeon sort of creatively coded so that they would, but if they consider it cosmetic vaginal surgery, which they do, that's what they think this is, it's not covered. So I am insanely fortunate to have had the ability to pay for these things. Scar therapy, not cheap, out of pocket every single time. Worth it, but I happen to be beyond lucky and have access to that. All the things that I did really, even steaming, like, you know, buying the herbs, making the time to do that, um, having a partner who was incredibly supportive, who could watch the baby so I could steam or could, that I could do those two weeks in bed. You know, all these things are just layers and layers and layers of privilege that I have as a white woman. It's and one who happens to have the means to be able to do this. Like, I, I it's absolutely not lost on me at all. Yeah. Thanks for talking about that. I think that, yeah, these are conversations that we have all the time within two pregnancy and beyond. And I totally know that you get that and appreciate that. Yeah. And it's just making me think too, you're based in the U S now in Houston. I'm wondering, and I'll need to do a bit more research on my own, but how this surgery might be classified in Canada with healthcare. And if it's covered, do you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I'm not sure. I mean, like most things with insurance, there's workarounds, right? If you have a surgeon who understands that for you, this is not something you're doing frivolously because you would prefer it to look a different way when you think, you know, especially when you have a surgeon, like mine was thoughtful, caring, and she really took the time to understand what my concern was. And she was empathetic and you don't often get that, especially in my experience in the OBGYN type of space. I've had really horrible experiences with one particular OB with major violations of my body and him feeling like he was God and how dare I say something. So I think you have to find the right surgeon. And I think that would be like a word of mouth thing. I happen to know people who know people who know people who have um, a wide knowledge of the providers in the area. That's what you need is you need to find the right person. I mean, I think anyone could probably do the surgery, but you need someone who understands what your goal is out of surgery and is really willing to work with you so that you get there, hopefully as best as you can. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. So how long has it been now since the surgery? It's been five months since surgery. Okay. And what goes on from here with the continued management of it, more healing? What's your, what, what's your plan? So I am not seeing a pelvic floor therapist anymore because at this time I don't need to be. Um, I do still have, um, Rowan had made me what she's calling midwife melts. And so I'm using those. They're kind of like just a way to encourage X, make sure, cause I'm breastfeeding. So tissues are dry, just a way to encourage the tissues to kind of rejuvenate as best as they can while breastfeeding. I mean, that's another complicating factor. If you are also breastfeeding, you're going to have a different healing experience. than if you're not, you're, you just hormonally, that's just the reality. Um, I do still have some estrogen suppositories I can use if I think things are kind of like regressing. And other than that, it's just at my own discretion. What do I feel like I need, you know, make those decisions as I come. Yeah, that's so great. And I think that this will be interesting 
even to watch over the next six months, year, 18 months, once you're done weaning miles and then to see, because healing just takes time. Like the timeline can be long for these things. And like you said, breastfeeding can impact that. So I think it'll be super interesting to see how it continues to shift. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't think that it's exactly as perfect as I would have, you know, in in a, you know, dream situation, there is still tightness there. And I think that will continue to lessen over time, but it's so good now that it's not like I go, you know, how long can I go before we have to have sex again? Because it's so bad that I just don't want to, you know, and that was really my goal to feel comfortable in my body, to feel like I could squat without pain, to feel that like every day was not a bother to me. So that's just it. I love it. Well, uh, any last tips that you would share before we hop off? Advocate for yourself. Do not take the standard answer and go, that's it for me. I've done my best. Look into different ways of doing this. So Rowan works at a um, birth center here that gets, does take except patients who use Medicare. Um, so she does have like a sliding scale for those that really, truly need it. So there are ways to get care that are non-traditional, but you'd have to really dig for that, look for the right people. And again, continue to advocate for yourself. There are ways to do these things if you are really willing to stand up for yourself. And I think that's part of it is you're worth it. You don't have to have, this doesn't have to be your lot in life. You can say, I refuse to accept this. How can I find help? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And continue asking. Yeah. Wherever you can. Yeah. All right, Haley, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. I think that it will be really, uh, yeah, deeply impactful for so many people. So I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 